Let me welcome in studio Isabel Fry, Executive Director of the Social Policy Initiative. Isabel, always a pleasure. Good morning. Good morning, Cathy. Thank you so much for inviting me. All right. I think I need to move that mic a little bit closer. If you can just pull it closer so that I can hear you uh, better. Uh, let me invite also on the phone. This is uh, Sandile Swana, who is a political analyst. Sandile, good morning. Indeed, the volume is rather low. Thank you. Oh, yeah, d- d- don't worry, we'll work on Isabel's volume in the okay. moment. C- can you hear me loud and clear? Mr. Swana? Yes, Katie, I can hear you. Thank you. Okay, fantastic. Well, welcome to the show. Um, let me just begin perhaps with you, Mr. Swana. Give us a sense of your overall impressions looking at the conference this weekend. What sense did it leave you with? Yes, I think uh, one of the things we can, on the one hand, compliment the ANC for holding a peaceful conference in as much as they had a, a problem with their logistics uh, and the secretarial work of organizing the actual conference uh, certainly had its own logistical problem. Secondly, when we talk about the conference, Largely, it was a rehash of old recommendations and resolutions that had come from previous conferences, which points to the fact that their problem is that it takes them maybe 12 years or 15 years before they implement a recommendation that they themselves have made. Uh, so that is that. Is that. And, and in many ways, the statistics from SSA in terms of poverty, inequality, and unemployment show exactly that, that you have a lethargic uh, political party running the state. And and, and, and that, that, can't, that can't be good news because we are at a point in our country where many South Africans are looking for new ideas. And I don't know if perhaps maybe that is an unfair expectation that the problems we're facing are so big, they require a different kind of thinking than what perhaps we have used before? Yes. What we have not stated openly before, uh, some people have said that the the, the ANC is ideologically bankrupt. What they have not said, most analysts have not said, is that it is actually intellectually bankrupt. In other words, the ANC has become a desert of ideas as it has continued over time to admit into its membership people who are not academically and intellectually grounded, who have no technocratic training to be able to attend to the task at hand, who also do not have the professional ethics to do what needs to be done. That is why even the younger generation, if they were to be called that at all, the dollars of this world, the, the doomers of this world, uh, uh, and even the the, 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 the the Minister of Justice and others, the younger, the younger generation, they do not come up with any fresh ideas other than demanding that they must be the one who are put in power now because of their age. Mm. Isabel, let me bring it back to you. I mean, that, that's a very uh, strong statement. Intellectually bankrupt, um, lacking the ability, capability, technocratically uh, to deal with the problems that South Africa is facing. Thanks, Cathy, and I hope you can hear me better now. Um, 
While Sandile was talking, what struck me was the challenge that the ANC faces is that it is both the governing party um, and and a political party. So having attended uh, the policy conference, I would say that they were a fair number of ideas that were being debated um, quite deeply um, and at length. I think that many of us have the idea, the expectation that when something is determined at policy conference or confirmed um, at national conference, that that automatically becomes uh, implemented policy, government policy, state policy. And of course, there are a number of, sta- of steps that have to happen before that. Mm. Having, having said that, it is also very striking that a number of the resolutions, draft resolutions that are being headlined as progress um, have been there before. So I think for me having um, a very passionate um, commitment to seeing the reduction of poverty and inequality, the um, statements by the chair of the ETC on the wealth tax and the basic income grant um, have actually I think they're more unequivocal than they've ever been before. And and that leads me to have hope that that will translate into final resolutions in December um, and into policy. Definitely, I would hope before 2024. um, But if I were more resigned, I would say that that might make it to the manifesto for the 2024 um, ANC or the ANC uh, manifesto for the 2024 elections. And that worries me, Cathy, Mm -hmm. because we don't have time to wait until then. It's interesting because when we had the feedback from the Social Transformation Committee, um, and it was Lindy Wesisulu that gave the feedback for that, she told the media that that session had spent a lot of time um, discussing the incident, the the rape that has taken place in in Krugersdorp, and that subsequently led to a huge chunk of the time focusing on uh, gender-based violence and what needed to happen to improve the experience of women in in this country. Now, she, you know, it was also about the fact that unemployment was spoken about um, enough to be a crisis but not quite an emergency and nothing at all was mentioned about the basic income grant. So you had suggestions like let's separate um, the the ministry, the youth ministry from the women's ministry because the issues facing young people are really significant. No talk about what happens then to people with disabilities that are also part of that uh, conglomerate where that ministry is concerned. And again, um, one would have thought that the issue of a basic income grant would have featured more prominently in a committee like that given just the sheer scale of the problem of, number one, unemployment, but also the problem of poverty and exacerbated inequality in this country? Um, I think that I I didn't listen to Minister Sisulu's report back, Um, but having sat in that uh, committee and being aware that there are certain things that I'm not sort of really allowed to give a a blow-by-blow account of of the proceedings, but but just to say um, a number of the members who attended the STC work 
um, are committed activists from the ground. And I think there was a huge level of trauma about what had happened in Krugersdorp. And, and that's why it dominated the opening um, time of the, of the um, committee's work. And women were talking about um, gender-based violence across the country. So there was a lot of, um, of passion that, that came out there. And, and that the chair, Lindiwe Sisulu, listened to and respected. But interestingly enough, from your questions about basic income grant, when we got to the basic income grant in the sec- in the session, um, Minister Sisulu's opening line was, well, it's clear that a universal basic income grant is what is required. Mm-hmm. So to that extent, that previous discussion um, had already taken place. There was an NEC joint ETC and STC committee in the last 18 months, which had looked at a basic income grant. So the, the basic principles had been had been discussed, and Lindy was affirming the fact that those were the principles that would take us forward. Um, I think the link between unemployment and poverty and and inequality coming through to the basic income grant had not necessarily had enough airing. Um, And so I was able to lead the fact um, in discussion that if you flood communities with income through a basic income grant, it enables informal economy activation to take place. And and so I'm uh, I'm hoping that that will be the next generation of discussion. But it was clearly committed that a universal decent basic income grant is something that the ANC Mm -hmm. Policy Conference has endorsed. Uh, Sandile, let, let me come back to you uh, again on this issue. Of course, I've been noting um, different reporting on this issue of the of the basic income grants, and it it really you know ranges from um, those who believe that the ANC is entertaining this conversation um, because they want to be uh, seen to be responding to mainstream issues, popular issues, as um, it's it's often described, but that there isn't any genuine intent to follow through with such policy. And then you also have business that has also been um, opining on the basic income grant and the extent to which it can be implementable and whether or not the state actually has the money to um, have this kind of policy see the light of day. Oh, thank you so much, Katie. Um, the, some of the uh, issues uh, that I was raising exactly my colleague is also raising. For instance, you talk about the basic income grant uh, and you don't link it to the other economic variables such as uh, creation of employment, creation of food security, uh, the GDP growth rate, and so on and so forth. Uh, They drew a straight line in the basic income grant discussion a straight line between a wealth tax, and as far as I understand, and the grant. So the source of this is a wealth tax, and you just pay these people. But if you look at how taxpayers behave, especially the rich ones, um, once they understand your tax strategy, the tax consultants, the PWCs, and all the top legal law firms in South Africa come in and find a way of uh, um, avoiding that tax. So the, uh, a big wealth tax can work Uh, in the short term, but not in the long term. And I want to come to this issue of this populism that you are referring to. Professor Ben Turok of the South African Communist Party, who unfortunately has passed away now, has warned the Tripartite Alliance repeatedly for a long time 
that you cannot be talking about stimulating the economy only on the basis of consumption. In other words, you just give people money to go and buy things and hope that the people they buy from will then create more businesses, etc., etc. But the people themselves, to whom you are giving the money, are not engaged in innovative and productive activities. So what Ben Turok was arguing, and this came from the South African Communist Party side of the, of the Tripartite Alliance, is that you must not just talk about consumption, also talk about investment, the creation of high-return investment in infrastructure and other things that actually accelerate economic growth rate and economic development. So that type of systemic thinking where things are linked to each other and you see the economic multipliers over the longer term, whereby individual families start to become economically and financially independent. Since the ANC took power, I want to believe that the dependence of Africans in particular and blacks in general has actually escalated. Um, to the point that more than half of the South African population is, is dependent on these income grants, and the number, the percentage, labor participation rate is one of the lowest in the, in, in the, in, in the world, and the employment rate is one of the unemployment rate is one of the highest in the world, and the ANC has not had the technocratic capacity to create evidence-based economic plans that can actually resolve with actual technocrats in the state who know exactly what to do this. Kabombegi actually highlighted this very recently when he confronted Cyril Ramaphosa. Padili Hutla has raised this issue, several, the former statistician general, and Bernstein has raised this issue. So we cannot sidestep the issue that there's a shortage of technocratic commitment and technocratic skills in the economic cluster of the African National Congress and the state at this point in time. So, 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 so what are you saying, uh, Mr. Swana? Are you saying that the ANC-led government has created a citizenry that is largely dependent on welfare? Yes. Uh, unnecessarily so. The very people who are, earning, uh, who are getting uh, uh, income grants without working, without being productive, so it is actually a cover-up strategy. They are covering up the fact that regardless of the tremendous resources of South Africa, tremendous human resources of South Africa, tremendous potential in South Africa, they are unable to get the economic growth rate above 5%. And instead of getting people to be productive and independent and getting wealthy, people need to get wealthy. And you can get South Africans to be wealthy on a large scale. Uh, and China has demonstrated that things like that can be done. Uh, South Korea demonstrated that things like that can be done. Even the USA and, and, and others, even Western countries, Finland and Estonia and others, have demonstrated this. The ANC has sidestepped that responsibility because its top echelons, the uppermost leaders in the African National Congress, are not concerned with the matters that I am stating here. They are concerned with infighting factions, fighting for positions, stealing votes, manipulating electoral processes, etc., etc., and mm -hmm. all sorts of corruption and criminality.
All right. So, so, so then the system becomes what it is by way of design. Um, that is the argument that uh, Sandy Leswana is making. Isabel, you've been um, <laughs> shaking your head furiously at some points. Let me give you a chance to come in. Absolutely. And I, I do enjoy this conversation because it's nice to have different views coming together. I think firstly, I would um, differ with my colleague Sandile on the question of causality. I think that, uh, so I disagree with the fact that grants, with, with the view, not the fact that grants cause dependency. If we look at the 18 million people who were on grants before COVID, mm. those are children and pensioners. So you can't say that the re- giving of grants to children creates dependency of children because they're not meant to be working. Old age pensioners have left the labor market. Um, so in that regard, we have a crisis of unemployment. We've got 12.4 million adults who are unemployed. They're not unemployed because they're getting grants. They were unemployed before even the COVID grant came along. Our economy is not creating the jobs for them. And that, I think, is where Sandy and I would probably uh, agree about the fact that our economy has not been creatively stimulated. We haven't been industrializing um, and, and creating new new spaces and areas uh, where we're producing. I think the I would disagree with the fact that grants are just consumption. Um, I think the the research that our institute and many others, um, including Economic Policy Research Institute, have done shows that the use of grants actually stimulates de- um, demand and therefore production. So if you look at the kinds of micro-entrepreneurs in township and rural economies, one of the reasons that they fail is that nobody has disposable income. There's no demand. Um, and so you can't set up people to fail um, in totally impoverished communities. And that's what uh, the income coming through from a basic income grant would do. It would create that demand and therefore guarantee sustainability. But I do also want to come back to this point about the wealth tax um, and the wealth in South Africa. We know that South Africa is um, the most unequal country. We, we know that on income inequality, but in terms of wealth inequality, according to the Stats SA recent inequality trends report, our inequality, our wealth inequality sits at 0.94 on the Gini coefficient, where one is an indicator of complete inequality. So there they also show that 1% of the population derive 50% of their income from shares, profit and capital gains. So we need to move away from the from the belief that the wealthy are wealthy because they're productive. That 50% of the income of the wealthiest 1% is made through rent, gathering mm-hmm. rent from shares and, and dividends and things like that. So I would urge as we go forward and look at the discussions that need to happen, that we're able to look at causality, we're able to look um, at things that, that flow. So my argument being that if there is money in the economy and if we take it, if we untap the accumulated wealth, which is sitting, not creating productive wealth, um, then that would generate returns. Our recent research report authored by Duma Krubule shows that we can look at a conservative multiplier of 1.5 on state spend. So that means automatically that for every rand generated or paid over by the state, mm. we're looking at a further 1.5 in terms of growth. And then, I mean, just the, the other thing that needs to be said is this idea that investment is only investment if it's in capital infrastructure. We had a webinar two weeks ago and Professor Fiona Tregena, um was arguing the fact that if you don't invest in humans, 
um, you're going to have a massive deficit. So the child malnutrition will never be caught up. You can create a job down the road, but you can never create a child. You can never recreate the brain development of a child that's been malnourished since birth. Mm. And those, I think, are the priorities we need to look at. We need to flip over the failed assumptions that we've been having since 1994, and that is people-first development, um, and that will create the ripple effect. Rather than the trickle-down effect, we want to have the ripple effect uh, that includes more and more people into productive livelihoods. What about um, the research as well that shows that the wealthy are fleeing South Africa? So if we are then to fund, let's say, a basic income grant uh, through wealth tax, then automatically we get a lot more of these individuals um, trying to find greener pastures elsewhere. I'm not sure on the recent emigration figures, um, but I do know that the bulk of the wealth of the wealthy is situated offshore already. So whether the individuals themselves are sitting in beautiful South Africa, um, their wealth is not. So if they take themselves off to very cold European uh, countries in order to join their wealth, that doesn't mean that um, that the impact of a basic income grant has depleted the wealth from our shores. There are ways, however, in which you can the state can put in uh, speed bumps to prevent people from removing their, their full taxation. But one of the things that Sandile was talking about earlier, was, and you and Sandile were talking about, was the location of the financing of a basic income grant. Now, I don't believe it should only be in wealth. And one of the, the, one of the big ways in which we're losing money in South Africa is through base erosion of profit shifting. So companies are already shifting the profits in which we should be taxing them mm. to the tune of up to about 370 billion per annum. Now, there are ways in which our, our wealth is leaving without us putting in any measures that benefit the poor. So what we're saying is close down those loopholes, really actively make sure that our wealth doesn't leave our shores in any illegal manner um, and limit the extent to which profits can be taken off our shores in legal manners um, and then redistribute those those incomes. I mean, we know, Cathy, that um, Treasury was sitting with a huge unanticipated windfall tax from the commodities. We know that they had a 370 billion rand, which they had an overhaul of taxation. Now, this is clearly not a problem of not having money, but it's a question of will as to where that money goes and how it's used in a way that is, has beneficial returns for us and for our children. All right. We'll continue the conversation. Isabel Fry, she's with uh, the Social Policy Initiative. Sandy Leswana is a political analyst. For now, it's 10.30 and Musa is standing by with a look at your latest news headlines. The Talking Point with Kathy Mosasana. Weekdays, 9 a.m. till midday. All right, of course, there's still a number of issues for us to get to in as far as some of the outcomes, at least of discussion, coming out of the ANC's policy conference. I'll take your calls, 011-714-2006. On the WhatsApp line, it's 614 Let me go to Anonymous in Tswane. Anonymous, good morning. How are you? Well, thank you. I'm all right, thanks. Uh, thank you very much that uh, upon our last discussion on this education by media, on people, on what's happening in government, you took it very hard. I, I applaud you on that. Thank you very much. Uh, Casey, the, the most important thing of all things that we are discussing, I know that the, the biggest issue now is the economy. 
as we are speaking, that the economy is not performing for us in a manner that we are supposed to do. They all start, start from the cohort of leadership that you deploy. It, 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 it doesn't, the nature and the, there's, there's one point you raised with a caller, and it's worrying, it's worrisome, that uh, you, you find it odd that uh, Minister Masobo is the one who, who would go and present uh, 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 something on, on corruption when he's implicated by multi-bodies. Uh, but I believe the most correct thing is that we have started talking. That is the most important thing. We have started talking. Two, we must agree that we disagree to agree. And difference of, op- and, 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 and difference of opinion. Mm. Difference of opinion doesn't de- demean the other person's view. It's just to basically say this can work better for us, better than that. Now, getting deeper into the issue, I, 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 I think many leaders in the ENC are scared of Cyril. More on his focus within the judiciary system and the resolutions that they have taken now, they have been forced to actually navigate towards. Because most of us are forced. And evidence shows us who is fighting against this kind of resolutions that are taken. That is the first thing that we have to fight, craft. Two, legislations that we are coming up with, because they build towards the economy assertion and, 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 and growth of this country. Because if, if the, 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 the migration and immigration policies are not addressed, in a sense that because now, if you take the Somalians, for instance, Somalians are making, it's an economy within our economy. You go to all, 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 all uh, 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 townships, you find Somalians there. And they buy their own brands. 90% of the brands that they are buying, they are buying from people that are manufacturing for them. And none of that is taxed. None of that is registered within our own economy. So we've become so too much complacent in a spirit of brotherhood, in a spirit of understanding, in a spirit of democracy, that we have become very detrimental to ourselves. So the cohort of the leadership that needs to sit there needs to be seen to be less corrupt or non-corrupt at all. I'm sorry to say less corrupt because less corrupt is corrupt as well. Mm, mm. You see, so we, we, we need to deal with this issue of corruption in a sense that it, it, people need to go to jail. We need to pronounce. Somebody was saying there needs to be a pronunciation on the Zondo, uh, Zondo report now. That's what we should be looking. We know now what has been happening in government. Some of us didn't know that those things are happening. We know that what has been happening. But the most important tool, citizens need to know. You know, somebody made a, 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 an example for me. He said South Africa, then it's funny, this person is a foreign, is a foreign national. Says to me, South Africans are like a boy who's heading a, a head of cattle. 30, 40. A small boy of 12 years can direct those cattle left, right, and anywhere to go. But if a cow was to realize how powerful it is, it would turn and kill the boy in a second. So, 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 my, my, my point is on the kind of leadership that we are breeding. Because for me, it becomes very difficult. For instance, let's navigate a little bit to the KwaZulu-Natal conference. The first thing that happened there on the floor, 
Since when Zuma became more important than the ANC? Since when an individual became more important than the organization that they are serving? They have got a document, a very beautiful document. If you go and read that document, it's called Through the Eye of the Needle. It determines what kind of a leader that the ANC should elect. What kind, what type of a leader, what, what ticks should be there. So that we find that most of our problems are not, are, not, are, not, are not created, are not created by policy or document, uh, document content, are created by non-willingness to implement the policies that are there. All right. But mostly we are very, very, very much well. Okay. Thank you very much. <laughs> Anonymous out in Swani. Let's leave it there. As pay in the vowel, good morning. Hello, Spe. All right, it, 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 it looks like I've lost Spe there. And, and one of the things I want to pick up on, and, and it's linked to what Anonymous was saying, uh, that's really key to something like uh, a policy conference and um, whatever you know discussions come out of um, a, a conference such as this that will ultimately feed into policy is the issue of policy only being as good as the ability to implement it. Um, Sandile, let me come to you because it, it was something that was raised by delegates at the very beginning of the conference, that where is the review of what the policy discussions and resolutions taken at the pre- previous conference in 2017, and how far has had has the party moved in implementing some of those resolutions? Hello, Sandile. Uh, sorry, I muted myself. Sorry. <laughs> no, no problem. You're back live on air now. The 2012 conference and uh, 2017, indeed, you see a repetition of the same things that have not yet been implemented. And, uh, and uh, you know, you can take it at a small scale, but very serious scale, of course. When Chabombeki says Ramaphosa during the State of Nation address said, within 100 days there'll be a social compact. He said that himself, and he has been in government for a long time. He has been in negotiations since the 1980s. Uh, so if a social compact needs to be negotiated, Ramaphosa is one of the people who should know how long it takes to negotiate it. So he gave himself 100 days. 100 days, it was not there. It is still not there till today. So there are certain aspects, and I will repeat myself here, that if you, are, you, you, you must have a, a belief your emotional, moral commitments, and what have you, your ideological commitments. But on the other side, you must have the solid technocratic capability to actually carry out within the allocated time, within the allocated uh, uh, budget, etc., etc., exactly what you said you are going to do. And that skill, that technical skill, when you look at the evidence, the evidence produced by the Auditor General, the evidence produced by SSA, on the evidence, you cannot say that the ANC is making progress or that they have the technocratic skills because there is no evidence to support that. Mm. But, but Sandile, do, do, do you think that there's honesty about that? There's an honesty that acknowledges that, that, that um, 
technocratic deficit or capabilities deficit? There is no honesty, a general honesty. For instance, we've been beating about the push, about the technical capabilities of ESCOM. Now, recently, Mbegi said, look, uh, in ESCOM, one of the bigger problems that has not been discussed in detail and openly was that ESCOM made the wrong decision, that they are going to procure parts of the, uh, parts of the project of building a power station from different providers, and everybody subcontracts directly to them, meaning that they become the main contractor themselves without the correct engineering skills, without the correct project management skills, let alone the fact that they then introduced Itachi and Chancellor House and other types of corruption there, but they actually did it. Solidarity, the union of the white Africaners, has come forward and opened up on the issue of skills. Pravin Gordhan, no matter how popular he, unpopular he is, he admitted, having fiddled around and messed a lot or wasted a lot of time, that in fact they do not have the actual technical skills to run ESCOM. There is no economic planning system here in South Africa, and there is no credible economic technical team uh, in Gauteng uh, on the national basis in South Africa. And in many municipalities, the local economic development team are below standard, completely below standard. And that is the truth that needs to be confronted. Isabel, of course it speaks to the heart of the ability to turn and to change then the lived of, of the lived experience of South Africans around because and it's something that President Ramaphosa has spoken about, including in his, in a state of the nation addresses the, the 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 need to further capacitate the state, you know, to ensure that not only are they the right people in the right positions, but those people are up to the task of doing the work that they need to do. Now when when you look at the reflections on why it is that there has been a failure to implement some of these policies as good as some are you know said to be do you think that there is enough attention paid to that on why it hasn't happened and that's really realistically looking at what are the steps that would need to be taken to make it come to life absolutely um and i think sandile's analysis was quite sobering. To my mind, we do need to start from recognizing that the state that we have um, was pre-94 a completely different animal. We had provincial uh, breakdowns and we had different departments for different racial groups. And I think the first number of years was a, a real exercise in trying to knit together a new state. Where we don't seem to have succeeded um, is really bringing to the fore meritocracy uh, and a, a bureaucracy of excellence. And that's something which is very troubling because the government is only as good as the civil service that implements it. And that comes down to an ethos of delivery, an ethos of service, um, and an ethos of accountability. So where we see the patterns from the top down not emphasizing accountability, um, even accountability for mediocrity. I mean, I, I think that we need to recognize that a mediocre state, even a capable state, is not really the standard that we should be aiming for. We should be aiming for an excellent state where the, where the, the well-being 
of the poorest, most vulnerable women in the rural areas actually is the standard that we hold ourselves to. What I wanted to raise as one of my concerns, and just linking back to the discussion on ESCOM by the president Monday a week ago, was it seems that where there is a whenever there is a failure of of the state, the the private sector is then raised as being the solution, um, and that means I mean just listening to between the lines of what the president was saying, if we are trying to bring in the private sector, then. He was also um, suggesting that the emphasis on local procurement would go out the window, that the affirmative action would go out the window. He kept on talking about bringing in former managers, which to my mind really suggests, if you go back to ESCOM, the white managers that have now been moved out. So does that mean that our whole political project of transformation is being dismissed and we come back and bring back uh, the private sector that we know is there and it keeps on saying it's there to make a profit? Um, my concern, again, if you bring in the private sector, the profit-making means that you start looking at user fees increasing. Um, and you, we also know that the private sector, I mean, when we look at the Zonda Commission, where you have corruption, you need to have a corruptor and a corruptee. Um, and the private sector has a dominant role to play in that regard. And yet nobody looks at them and says, uh, what is their role? Where are the prosecutions coming? Yes, the politicians who are corrupt need to be rooted out and need to be held accountable. Um, so, it, I mean, you were asking, <laughs> um, what are the steps that we need to take? I think the, the honesty of the culture of service and delivery needs to be looked at. I think we do need to look at the prosecutions arising from the Zondo Commission. Um, and we need to be looking at the, the question of where accountability comes. I mean, the whistleblowing, I was part of a, I was on the board of an NGO called ODAC, the Open Democracy Advice Center, um, about 15 years ago, and the, the Whistleblower Act was really unpopular. We know what happens to whistleblowers. They regret having blown the whistle because there is no support for that. So our culture as a nation needs to be that of supporting transparency and honesty, not blaming the Mpimpi for bringing the bad news. Of course, you know, one of the, the biggest challenges that, that we're facing when you talk about, um, you know, the, the how the private sector is viewed is that uh, often the private sector is being seen is seen as being efficient. And um, the, the more problems we have in our public sector, the more a narrative like that is able to spread and take hold and take wind because now even ordinary South Africans will say, well, let's rather privatize because then when you pay for something, you can at least see what you're getting, even though it's not getting your money's, your full money's worth out of that service. But there is this view that the private sector is a lot more efficient than the public sector. Uh, let me go back to the Vals Pay. You're back on the line. Good morning. Uh, good morning, this is Katie. Yes. Uh, yeah, man. I think we need to be honest in terms of how um, the ANC works. I think uh, it's a it's a collection of vultures that are waiting to uh, catch the carcasses that are left there by predators. I think what is more important is that we don't address is the issues. I think Dr. Um, Sandile has, has been very clear on the issues of capacity within, and I think that's what we're not addressing the issues of. How do we address the issues of um, uh, skills in our country? Because if you look at what is currently happening uh, in a country at large, we do not have skills and we do not create new skills for people to take over. 
you find that we were challenged. I was listening to your show last week when you were talking to the uh, Department of Higher Education about things. They always talk about TVET colleges and so forth. But what happened to the skills development that happens from primary school to secondary schools and addressing those challenges in terms of building capacity, in terms of that? And we are not, they're not talking about that. That's why we have a dependency country in terms of uh, we are dependent on, on, on grants. And that culture is growing daily by daily. And that will explode at some point and become a challenge. Because ANC has a tendency of creating nice policies but the lack of implementation of those policies is mm. what becomes a challenge. And also, because they can't even uh, capacitate people who are then installed into state, they're not uh, capacitating enough as doctors as they, in terms of that. And that kind of derailed all these plans that they're talking about. I mean, you can read all the documents that are done by the ANC. They are very good, but in terms of what needs to be done, the next stages. We don't have skills. Like now, Previn has went to uh, African Forum looking for skills. But what happened to We have millions and millions of young people who are not skilled enough. Why we're not skilling our people to be able to take over jobs, create jobs, as we have so much wealth, minerals, resources that are around, lying around, but we are not unhappy them. We are not giving youth an opportunity. The only thing that we fight for is standards. And standards are not actually skills and, and, and businesses. We need to create businesses that are sustainable, that can create process of creating jobs like we're saying if we small SNEs but who are we going to call SNEs if mm. we do not capacitate our youth in terms of skills we're talking about simple skills like and um, uh, all these skills that are, we need I mean like now you come to South Africa you find pursuits have taken the construction in our communities in our societies they've taken over the construction uh, a part they are doing houses in our townships where our South African guys who can do that kind of job all this kind of simple work that you might think is simple, but contributes a lot in terms of uh, our economy. But that still has been shut. If you go back in the late days, they were technical schools. And all the technical schools have been shut down. Once they've been shut down, it means people who are living at primary school and secondary school will live without any skills. Therefore, yeah. when they leave matric, how do you expect them? Because all of them will not go to universities. Right. And that's where we find ourselves in, 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 in serious problems. So mm. we're creating this dependency on grants, and it explodes because we can't sustain the issue of giving people grants because only government sustains themselves through our taxes. And what happens, all of us get to change, and there's no other money, other source of income. And that's where the biggest problem that we have is that we need to create people who are capacitated enough to run state institutions and able to deliver on the policies that have been created so that these returns can, can happen, and we need to build on, on this on, on this thing. All right, Spe, thanks for that contribution. Um, in fact, you're reminding me of something uh, one activist said just in the last couple of days, and it was that, uh, you know, the, the, the one of the questions that we need to be asking of the current leadership of the ANC is whether or not they have created the same opportunities for young people today that have been created for them. And this idea of access to opportunity, access to skills. Have they been as intentional about doing that for the next generation as some of their leaders have been? I'll get Isabel and Sandile to, to weigh in on that shortly. Anonymous, you're in Woodbank. Good morning. Good morning, Khadi. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Khadi, I was okay until I listened to your topic. Your topic is worrisome, man. Katie, there's 
concerns of the ANC, I must congratulate them for not fighting, yelling and screaming. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is, is that how bad things are? That, that, you know, the one thing that everybody wants to talk about is the fact that they didn't fight. <laughs> Katie, things are not bad. Things are not bad or not worse. I'm desperate now. Mm. Katie, the only problem with the policy, they can come up with those beautiful policies and so forth. The challenge here is the implementation of the set policies. That's number one. And into implementation of the legislations which govern various institutions that where the politics are, uh, politicians are involved. I'll tell you why. For example, you serve at ESCOM board, you have all these politicians who will be influencing people to do things in a different way and ignore the very same policies that are there which need to be complied with. I'll give you one classic example which pains me. One of the previous callers spoke about the, 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 that we are cursing the next generation. The children are learning from us to be corrupt. I served in one of the schools in here, in World Bank. I thought the, police, the conference they were going to speak about the jobs for Pell. I mean, the jobs for Pell, their friends, they're giving them jobs and so forth. And when they get to those institutions, they cannot perform. And once you start questioning things, according to what the legislation, the legislation says, you become this bad person. For example, um, at Katie and Erasmus, they meet somewhere. They speak, they agree about the uniform, changing the uniform of the school. The school governing body is not involved there. And the money gets exchanged somewhere, and the SGP doesn't know about that. The parents get coerced to pay the money. At the end of the day, the parents don't get their uniform. And the person who supplied the uniform doesn't get his money. He then sued the institution. If he sued the institution, we must get involved. We start asking Katie, Katie, what happened? Because we know nothing about this transaction. Who said the uniform must change without going through the right channels? The department is aware of that. They are doing absolutely nothing. The school is being sued as we speak now. We are fighting to defend the school not to pay over 200,000 of the money that never even went into the school account. Mm. So the government of the ANC is failing us. I'm saying it's failing us because the Department of Education is aware of this. We've got someone in our hands. If you do not believe me, Casey, one of your people there, they can take my numbers. I'll send you someone. I'll send you letters from the parents complaining, wanting their money. This person wants their money. The school never received, never received money, never even went into the, into the school account. This is the government that we are, we are having. Right. We are failing people. All right. Anonymous, we'll leave it there. Uh, I think, you know, the point has been made. It's an example of the way in which you feel you are personally being failed by some of those uh, in positions of, 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 of power to be able to intervene, do something. Scully in Durban. Good morning, Scully. Hi, good morning to you, Cathy. Yes. Thank you for taking my call. Uh, let's echo and level there. My take is meant, Cathy, we in South Africa position, have given, God-given gift. We are so rich. You know, we are about the fifth richest in mineral-wise and so on. And even it comes to manpower. Like, we have so many first, first heart transplant. You can go on and whatnot. Now we have Benny McCarthy go to who whoever dreamt us. We have a coach coaching at one of the, the, the leading clubs in Europe uh, and so on. And we, we need leadership. We don't have leadership in the ANC. ANC is full of conferences and whatnot and whatnot, and nothing comes right. It's 28 years going. Um, uh, uh, liberation parties have 25 odd plus minus, and they must go, you know. I, I, 
so, I, I so, so Scully, to, to Scully b- by your definition, they, they've outlived their, their expiry date. I think so, yes. Okay. I, 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 I tried to tell you this, you know, I was crying last night because it, the ANC is going now. And yet we go around with, with begging bowls and so on. We can do so many things. We're one of the leading, leading countries in on earth. Mm. Yet we have no leadership to take us forward. All right, That's Scully, it. let's leave it there. Have a good day. God oh. bless you. Same to you, Scully, out in Durban. Um, let me go to Sandile, give him a, uh, an opportunity to weigh in, and then we'll wrap it up in studio with Isabel. Sandile? Thank you so much, Tessie. Uh, uh, the question, as I understand it, is whether the current leadership is providing the, to to our children the opportunities that our generation was provided uh, before. Uh, and I do have children who are, uh, you know, the next generation, the youngest is 25. Uh, now, I can tell you, when I compare my own life to the life of my children in terms of wealth, income, and so on, I... I Back then, I was a uh, 10 street ahead of them. I mean, I was able to buy myself a three-bedroom townhouse within the first year of working, right? Uh, the types of schools I went to, black schools, St. Patrick's Roman Catholic School in the border in the Eastern Cape, St. John's College in Umtata in the Eastern Cape, I went to Vip, and I was never unemployed. I never had dreamed of such a thing as unemployment. I had money in my bank account all the time. Now, my father went to Forte, and uh, today is 84, 100% financially independent. My mother-in-law got standard eight education, uh, 85 years old, totally financially independent. But my children, which is their grandchildren, are struggling economically. My mm-hmm. daughter is a PhD student uh, at UNIFA now, having completed three degrees at this, struggling to make a living. Etc. Uh, Etc. Et so the current the, the the ANC government does not have the program, and Isabel tried to explain this a little bit, but it says from the day a woman gets conceived, conceive a child, there must be a program to say what will this child look like in 25 years time, and the ANC does not have that program with suitable interventions to make sure that the type of human being that you produce is world-class, highly competitive, wealthy, and independent. All right. Let's leave it there. Sandile Swana, political analyst. Isabel? Thank you. I think Sandile's personal illustration was really useful just in showing the stark um, concerns that, that face us as a society right now. To my mind, I think we need to be very clear on the national um compass around inequality, the fact that it doesn't seem to be a crisis, the the fact that unemployment doesn't seem to be a crisis, Mm. um, harnessing um, as much of the energy as the energy crisis uh, does is, is a worrying thing. One of the, so just in closing, one of my ongoing concerns, and this really wasn't addressed, it was raised from the floor in, in conference, but not addressed by the leadership, is the macroeconomic framework. I think that if we're only targeting debt repayment and inflation, we're going to continue to have a stagnating, if not disappearing economy, mm-hmm. because every every surplus that comes goes into repaying debt. So when the Minister of Finance uh, in an interview said, we we would have to cut um, spending. That means that you are condemning us to not growing. 
I think that we need to take stock of the, we need to commit to growing our macroeconomic framework to targeting growth of 6%. We need to target unemployment of 11%, as the National Development Plan says, and inflation. And in that way, we then look at the micro-policies that give us the, the space in order to do that. But to, to run after neoliberal uh, targeting of debt and inflation means that we're never going to grow and we're never going to accommodate everybody who has been dropped out of the economy, um, as Sandile was saying. All right, Isabel, let's leave it there for this morning. Let me thank you both for coming on to the show. It's 11 o'clock.